When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. I'm Antonio Barbera. Happy to be back on the winning side of things with the Ravens and happy to be talking about it with all of you. Let's get to my co-hosts here on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, how's it going? Better than last week. Back in the win column, uh, the Ravens showed us a lot of stuff that we haven't seen from them in a very long time, so I'm doing great. And on the West Coast, complaining of skipping fall and going right into winter and it being something like 65 degrees, it's Jace Evans in Los Angeles. Jace, uh, are you keeping warm over there? Do we need to send you like some wood to burn or something for the stove? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really struggling over here, Antonio. I have a sweatshirt on today. I, uh, I'm wearing sweats. Uh this weekend brought out uh, pants for the first time since probably March for me, so it's it's a big it's a big weekend, but a great weekend of football. Our Maryland Terrapins won, but more importantly, the Baltimore Ravens won, and I was hype about it. I'm ready to get into it. I'm excited. This was a great game, I think, and uh, one I think we kind of needed to see in many ways from the Ravens. Baltimore beating the Indianapolis Colts in Indy. 24-10 to 10 in another game similar to last week that was a tale of two halves, except the opposite. This time, the Ravens had a horrendous first half and then put everything together in the second half and were able to pull away. We're going to talk about it. I, <laughs> the first thing I want to address is the start of this game when we're already nervous about the issues, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, with who the Ravens were going to start. Uh, who they'd gotten back. A lot of starters hadn't been able to participate in practice because they were 
too close to Marlon Humphrey during the week. So with Humphrey already out, uh, as a because he tested positive, we had other guys that we weren't sure how ready they were going to be, how stout the defense was going to be. And then Calais Campbell got hurt on seemingly the first defensive play of the game. Reserve corner Khalil Dorsey got hurt three plays into this game, and I was already panicking. But let's get into this first half here, and let's start with the offense. Let's start with the worst stuff first, guys. The offense in the first half, uh, my well-worded notes say, yikes. Uh, I want your guys' opinions on on exactly what was going wrong offensively and, and how this team was in such a funk to start. I mean, it was atrocious. It's it's what we've seen a lot of the year, and it was bringing up those same questions that then got answered, thankfully, in the second half, which we'll get to. But before that, it, the only way to describe it, and pardon the pun, and I know I've said this before on this show, it's just off. There's no rhythm. There's penalties all over the place slowing things down. There's turnovers and mistakes. It just... Nothing clicks, and... And it almost seemed like, you know, Lamar and the offense as a whole, they almost panicked right from the jump. And it was like they were skittish. There was no, you know, when an offense is really humming, and as it did in the second half, there's a tempo to it. You can feel it. If you watch that, if you watch that team enough, you kind of know the pace that they're going to play at and, and how they're going to adjust to things and the play calls they're going to have. And, and it just, none of that was working. And I mean, you know, obviously we've talked about it. it doesn't help losing the two offensive linemen as well. That's always going to screw people up, um, you know, with Yonda, who's been gone all year, and then Stanley, who got hurt last week. But, yeah, I mean, the only thing I can really say is it's just it was just off. It was weird watching it. Like, it just feels – it felt like a Kyle Bowler-led offense where nothing felt right and everything just was two degrees to the left when it should have been straight on. Yeah, I, I believe I texted the now infamous uh, group thread at halftime that uh... – it's it's weird that in recent weeks, but especially this game, watching the Ravens' offense has become a real slog. And that's not something we've really said much about the team since Lamar Jackson uh, kind of took, you know, took over its starting job. Um, they've always been, even with a ground-based attack, you know, pretty productive, pretty uh, able to move the ball pretty much at will at large parts of last year. Um but they were just getting eaten alive by the Colts' uh, defense, especially the, the defensive line. Um, the offensive line was, it was not a good day for the offensive line, especially in that, well, really in the first half. Um, I think they got some things together in the second half. But yeah, they could get nothing going against Colts. And I, I really thought, <laughs> it really seemed like the Ravens were going to be in for a long day the way the offense was playing. Five drives for the Ravens in that first half, all resulting in punts, which started bringing out all the annoying stats from the season before of in, in how many games did the Ravens only punt two or three times or zero times, and this was five straight punts in one half. I mean, you're absolutely right. The Colts' defense looked good. I mean, they looked good the whole game, to be fair. You know, it was a relatively low scoring, 24 points, but in that first half, my goodness, were they fast getting to the edge. The Ravens had nothing go, trying to go to get the edge on a running play with Lamar Jackson scrambling. Um, Tim, you're absolutely right with no rhythm offensively. We had a Hollywood uh, drop in the first half, which was the worst thing that could have possibly happened to him after complaining the last week about not getting touches. That was, I, I believe, on a, on a third down um, 
where if he caught the ball, you know, it would, he would have caught it for a first down, much less yards after the catch. A, a disaster offensively. Uh, Lamar looking unhappy and confused at times on the sidelines about not being able to figure stuff out. But what kept us in the game uh, in the first half was the defense. Um, so I'll turn to you guys now with the defense, first of all, being able to get another turnover and scoring again off said turnover. Thoughts on uh, on how the defense showed up in the first half, at least, because we will get to them in the second half as well. Yeah, I, I mean, we got to talk about it. It's now, what, the 21st straight game with a turnover, I think, um, which is insane. Marcus Peters, after... On a play with Jonathan Taylor where it looked like Jonathan Taylor was bulldozing him for five yards, Marcus Peters says, yeah, that's fine. I don't like tackling anyway, but I want the ball because the ball is where the money's made. Strips it out, and boy, we haven't had an appreciation for Chuck Clark in a while on this show, but my man went full Marshawn Lynch on Phillip Rivers, who with the most hilarious tackle attempt I've seen in my entire life. I was watching with a friend who – Really doesn't like Philip Rivers, and I don't either. But I just there was a venomous spew of hate coming from him about about Rivers, and I I added on to it for sure during the game. And watching Rivers flail like doing the reverse worm of like a dead body trying to be brought back to life, and just flailing at Chuck Clark. Chuck Clark taking the direct route to jump over him when he very simply could have run around him or run the other way. It was just a perfect Ravens swagger type of defensive move. And, um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's funny to say, and, you know, we've kind of been saying all, all year, I think we've all agreed that the national media might be hyping up this Ravens defense a little more than we think they should be. But without Marlon Humphrey, without Calais Campbell, arguably their two best players on that defense, they stepped up in a huge way, um, you know, in this first half, keeping this team in it. And, you know, for me, and we could talk about grander scale things later or when we preview uh, next week as well. But the defense, I think, is going to carry this team. If they're going to go anywhere this year, I think it's going to come down to the defense, which is not something you would have been saying in week one. Yeah, I mean, the I, <laughs> Tim said it all, but I, I don't think we can say enough how funny the Phillip Rivers tackle attempt was. If you haven't seen it. Fell on his own also. <laughs> Even before the tackle attempt, yeah, just tripped on his down. own feet. <laughs> And then you look afterwards, too, when, he, when Clark runs by him. So he falls over. He's on his back looking like a beach turtle. And he's, like, flailing, flailing, flailing. Clark jumps over him. He tries a very weak attempt to, to grab Clark by the gonads. That doesn't happen. Clark gets away, and he just goes lifeless. And his head just hits the turf. And that gifable, gifable moment, I can guarantee you it'll be the video on the tweet promoting this episode at Pod Lake Raven on Twitter because I have to watch it over and over and over again. It might be my favorite play of the last two years since we've been doing this show. It, it might be. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the defense came to play. That's all I can say. Rivers very much had the, like, the slouch shoulders of knowing he was about to become a meme <laughs> and knowing he was about to become a highlight from how bad that looked. But uh, as for the defense for the rest of the half, I, uh, you know, they did give up some yards. They did give up some points uh, on two long drives, one being the second drive of the game where it looked like they were going to score on every possession after that. And then their uh, last, I should say their second to last possession of the first half 
where they had a long sustained drive that led to a field goal, mostly because of a double uh, horrendous penalty play on a third down on Indies. I think they were on their own eight-yard line or nine-yard line. Uh, the classic offside, defensive offside, and roughing the passer on, on, on one play that kept the drive going. And then another issue that will not go away necessarily, even with the return of Humphrey next week, is what the Ravens are doing with their third corner. Who at, For this game, they had Jimmy Smith as the second corner and Terrell Bonds as the third corner, who was absolutely picked on every single time he was on the field. I'm not sure I saw him break up a pass the entire game. I'm pretty sure every pass thrown to him was completed. Uh, what, what do we do with Terrell Bonds here, and is it just try to hide him and hope that the other three guys can stay healthy? And, th- and we're talking about Jimmy Smith as the third guy, by the way, having to stay healthy for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I think you have to, right? Like uh, Khalil Dorsey, they said today, he goes out of this game. Uh, John Harbaugh said uh, Monday as we record this, he has a dislocated shoulder, I believe. So he'll be out for quite a while. Not that I thought Khalil Dorsey was great, but, you know, you seem to notice him a little less than Terrell Bonds. He's uh, not Terrell Bonds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the the only, uh, to your point, the only incompletion I think uh, – I saw Go Bonds' direction was one Phil Rivers just overthrew by like 15 yards (laughs) on a deep attempt late in the game. But uh, yeah, there's definitely concerns there. And we've talked in the past, you know, it's weird. You enter the season saying how deep the Ravens' secondary is. And now, you know, halfway through the season, we have problems like, how do we play Terrell Bonds? (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, every NFL season's a war of attrition and, Thankfully, it seems like Marlon Humphrey is going to be back, and I think, and we'll get more into him when we discuss the second half, but I think if with Humphrey back, and as long as we have Marcus Peters in there, for me, Terrell Bonds is what it is. Every player, every team has a player like a Terrell Bonds. Rosters are huge. Not everyone's going to be an all-pro on your team. So, as long as they get Marlon Humphrey back, I'm not super concerned about it, but it definitely... He shows up in the bad way when you watch rewatch the game. I mean, yeah. First of all, you say not everybody's an all-pro, but most people are competent NFL players on an <laughs> NFL roster, and Terrell Bonds is not that, you know. Um, and, you know, there was a reason he was a practice squad player for a reason, and it feels like the same thing we ha- happened with last year. We came into the season, look at this secondary, then it got depleted, and then they brought in Marcus Peters to kind of boost that back up. But Peters has been playing out of his mind this year, and obviously Marlon Humphrey – um, at least early, one of the candidates for defensive player of the year. That might be a little purple-tinted glasses, but I think he's up there. Um, and there's injuries everywhere. I mean, LJ Fort was out yesterday. Malik Harrison showed up and, you know, just led the team in tackles with 11 total, uh, some of them coming on special teams, I believe, as well. Uh, he was thumping dudes on special teams. Uh, Calais Campbell gets hurt, and Matt Abuke has to play a lot. And it's something that... I feel like the Ravens have dealt with a lot, a lot, a lot of injury problems this year. And it's just one of those snake-bitten years, and they're still 6-2. and two. So it, I'm not as concerned up front in that front seven, but with the secondary and the injury concerns, you have to think it worries you when a team like the Colts, who don't have super weapons, you know, and, and T.Y. Hilton was out of this game, a guy like Michael Pittman Jr. had four receptions. Uh, Pascal had five receptions because they just kept throwing at Bonds because he was two, three, four steps behind his guy. That's not going to hurt you against every team, 
but it's absolutely going to hurt you against the teams you have to beat, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Kansas City Chiefs, who have are loaded with wide receivers. And, you know, the way currently constructed, Bonds is going to have to be out there covering a guy, and I just don't have the faith that he can do that. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I did notice Bonds uh, two, three yards behind receivers. Even Jimmy Smith sometimes confounds me when he plays 10 yards off on like third oh. and five and There's then it's one just pitch and catch I, I don't <laughs> backed off oh my god it drove me crazy I, I I guess I understand the point of it is you know keep them in front of you make them get seven first downs as opposed to one big play but it's very frustrating on third down to watch so yeah that is going to be an issue until I don't know, we can get a full season out of Tavon Young next season, who who is supposed to be that guy, but has unfortunately gotten hurt um, several seasons in a row, basically. So, 10-7 halftime score that I would say felt like an absolute gift for the Ravens. And then I saw a stat that I don't know how I, I didn't realize this. It still seems impossible that the Ravens had lost their last 20 games when trailing at halftime. Uh, so I would say maybe the mood was a little dejected for for the pod like a Raven text to it at halftime. And then the second half, a totally different game offensively and really some of the same stuff defensively, at least all the positives, but sustained drives offensively. Um, I, th- I think it was three straight drives in a row uh, where the Ravens essentially marched right down the field. The first one leading to a Gus Edwards goal line fumble, which at that point for me was this is just not the Ravens' day. This is this game that we've seen every season that they're just not going to win because they can't score, and even when they get to the goal line, stuff happens where they don't score. So the defense takes over after the Edwards fumble and Marcus Peters with, again, another playmaking, another just unbelievable play that we can talk about, but I want to focus first offensively on these drives because the Ravens were able to get the ball one play later after the Peters interception. That was when they had their second sustained 10-play drive with a touchdown. Then they had a 14-play touchdown drive with Lamar Jackson. Some, some was on the ground. Some of it was through the air. Some of it was Jackson running, but a different quarterback in the second half. So thoughts on the Ravens and uh, Lamar Jackson in the second half offensively. I mean, he was perfect in the second half, and... It was first half, five punts. Second half, we had a total of one, two, five drives. Because you had these long, sustained drives that you're talking about, one of those being a punt, the other ones. Eight plays, 68 yards, and the Edwards fumble. They immediately get the ball back, thanks to Marcus Peters, who Marcus Peters had the most Marcus Peters game of all time. Didn't want to tackle, forced two turnovers, and almost got in a fight when he wasn't even on the field. (laughs) Amazing to me. After that... 10 plays, 54 yards, 5-minute drive, touchdown. 14 plays, 75 yards, 8-and-a-half-minute drive, touchdown. The tempo was different. The pacing was different. It was it was last year's Baltimore Ravens offense coming to life again. They were moving things faster. Greg Roman did not abandon the run game because they were only down three points, which is something that they finally woken up and realized. They kept that going. Lamar made smart plays. He didn't try and do too much, but he also used his feet when he needed to. I mean, the, the, the last touchdown, the sealer on the 14-play one, the, the third and inches call, where they're running it down their throat. They've got DeForest Buckner in there in the middle of the defensive line for the Colts. You just do the boot boot because you got one of the fastest quarterbacks, if not the fastest quarterback in the league, and he takes it for six. It was a beautiful play call. It's what we were used to again. And 
Antonio, like you said, we were pretty depressed. I was pretty very much like, all right, this team is back to being like a fine Ravens team. Not one of the better Ravens teams of recent years. Probably will make the playoffs and we'll we'll scare a couple people, but that might be it. But now this restored my faith and this team can beat good teams and they can come from behind. Like you said, Lamar had never beaten a team when he fell behind and they went what you like you said 20 straight losses when they fell behind as well even before Lamar so this was a big statement half and you know I don't I don't want to throw hyperbole into it but it could be a season defining half it really could be Chase I want to say one quick thing and then turn to you cuz Tim I just want to add to that bootleg on for the Jackson touchdown when your quarterback is Lamar Jackson who runs the ball a lot defenses know that and they cover him and they spy him and they keep an eye on him that play only works with Lamar Jackson when the defense believes that you're going to run the ball. And they did that because they kept pounding for two yards, kept pounding for three yards. Like you said, all game, did not abandon it. And so when you have a third in inches where the defense sort of has to, you know, they have to dive on one player or the other, they believed that run play was coming again. And not only was Jackson able to get a first down, but able to walk into the end zone, basically. So just... That's the point. That's the reason of sticking with the run, even when it's not successful immediately in the first half. Chase, go uh, go on offense in the second half. Yeah, I, that play was awesome. I, I rewatched the the Cadets game this afternoon uh, as we record. Brilliant play, but I, I thought Lamar was awesome in this game. I know the stats don't uh, you know jump off the page. He had a uh, you know under two hundred yards passing, um, but. I mean, as Tim said, he's perfect in the second half. And I think what really impressed me and why I thought he played so well and what encouraged me about this game is um, they really kept the ball uh, in his hands uh, a lot more than I think they have been. And I think that's really, you know, the tempo certainly helped um, getting to the line quicker, uh, you know, quick decisions, quick passes. That certainly helped, and it helped him. It seemingly getting a, a rhythm. He, you know, he went. He goes nineteen for twenty three on the day. So he he wasn't even that bad. I didn't think in the first half, but the whole the offense as a whole did nothing. You know, they have fifty five yards in the first half. Same amount of uh, penalty yards. They have fifty five penalty yards in the first half. Fifty five offensive yards. Not great, but to come out of halftime, you know, he's still he is the MVP, but he's still a young QB, and. You, on these big drives, those first three really long sustained drives they had, especially the first two, he had the ball uh, on first down a lot. It was a lot of passes from him, and if he didn't pass, he was scrambling. And in those first three uh, drives, you know, they have to go from down uh, uh, 10-7 to up 21-10, they face almost zero third and longs, uh, which is going to sound extremely obvious. But it's so key in the NFL. Uh, That's good. Yeah. And it's something we saw a lot last season. The Ravens were so good at just getting four yards every single play, no matter the play. Um, And we are seeing a lot more this season of them getting two yards per play, especially on some of these first down runs. Uh, And that's, uh, you know, creating problem scenarios. But they really didn't face that a lot in the the second half. In in the what I'll say is the defining drives of this game on offense. Uh, so that was really encouraging to to find a rhythm to find. I, I, we keep I we keep kind of circling back. Uh, uh, it wasn't I don't think exactly like last year. They still didn't run great, but they ran 
well enough when they needed to. And it was set up, you know, because they put themselves in better situations to succeed and short yardage. And they started to getting slightly longer runs in the second half than they were in the first uh, because they kept at it and they, you know, keep control of the ball and just put themselves in better situations to convert. So I was, I was, I was really impressed with the second half, especially against what I think is a pretty good Colts defense. I, you know, I don't think this is a group to slouch at. So on a road environment, you know, it's not 50,000 fans or whatever they normally have there, 60,000, but there's still fans there in uh, Indianapolis. So, you know, road environment, they never won in Indianapolis before. Um, so I think to come out of halftime with kind of a lot of the deck stacked against you and after how bad they played in the first, I was just so impressed with the offense. Especially, and on that last note there, Jace, too, because what we've seen from this team, and they they feel the pressure of everyone, Baltimore Ravens fans and the national media and the announcers, well, the Ravens have never won. You know, they haven't won in 20 games when falling behind. Can they do this? This is the mark of this team, a great team, but only when they have the lead, yada, yada, yada. And the play calling was fantastic. Greg Roman, credit to him. I thought they did. they had some really good calls like we've talked about. But after the Edwards fumble which again was another setback, another like, are you effing kidding me moment of things are starting to come together and then it kind of falls apart. They stopped turning the ball over. And that's so big. Lamar, like you said, perfect through the air. He also added 50 in the second half. He also added those 58 rushing yards on 13 carries. Like Antonio said, some design, some not. But the biggest thing for me, he didn't fumble the ball because he was sitting in the pocket trying to make too many plays. And he didn't throw any stupid interceptions, which we've seen all year. And that is the difference. If he throws if he throws even one pick in that second half, he could have played as well as he did, and they still might have lost this game. Because you give you give a team a short field and and Rivers, although I mean, I don't know what in the world has happened to that guy, but he's still a veteran quarterback who could do something. So I think another statement went from Lamar. Lamar also becomes uh in his first 30 games he ties marino's record for the most wins uh he is 25 and 5 now as a raven starter in the regular season so uh credit to him man i mean i think it was a it was a massive bounce back and something that the team the team and the fan base desperately needed to see i'm gonna use that gus edwards fumble as a way to turn to the defense in the second half here because to me that play I just had sort of the the nightmares of Lamar Jackson's interception in the second half against the Steelers the following week. Sort of to start, I mean the previous week, excuse me, to start the second half, you know, you want a good drive and instead immediately turn the ball over. Uh, And it was that situation again. And I was afraid of Indianapolis taking control of the game on that drive. The Ravens will not be able to score a touchdown. They look terrible. And then they have the worst play possible. But Marcus Peters, one play later, is able to take a terrible Philip Rivers underthrow on a deep ball. Marcus Peters, he definitely maybe intercepts it, uh, and this is where I I would like to, and I assume the the rest of my uh, team here would like to as well, is give Harbaugh a ton of credit because this was a play that when he chose to challenge that it was ruled an incomplete pass, I think all three of us thought it was one of the dumber challenges he had ever done, and he's had some bad ones, and I was absolutely positive that that was an incomplete pass, and instead is ruled an interception because of the three-feet touching rule makes turns it into a football move now, so it doesn't matter that he dropped the ball as soon as he hit the ground. But an unbelievable play by Marcus Peters, setting 
the setting the tone in both halves uh, in a game where really there's no other defensive playmaker left on the field. He makes two plays to completely change the game. And then the defense pitching a shutout for the rest of the second half. Guys, what did you like from this defense in the second half? I mean, to just linger on that Peters play, he definitely caught it briefly. Um, I don't know that I would have challenged it. I, when that ball fell incomplete, I certainly was like, ah, that was close. And just kind of was ready for the next snap. Uh, so as you said, credit to, uh, to John Harbaugh, because uh, I, I don't think if I certainly wouldn't have thrown the challenge. And I saw plenty of people on Twitter who uh, vehemently disagreed with his decision um, to throw the red flag there. But Tim mentioned it too. I love Marcus Peters, man. He, I don't know if he's, he he's inching towards Jersey territory. I the one only thing holding oh. me back is I don't know wow. if he's I don't know if he's going to be on the team long enough. That's the only hesitation I have. But he is so enjoyable, man. I mean, uh, I was deeply concerned he was going to get himself ejected in the second quarter. I believe when uh, um, when as Lamar Jackson uh, Jackson gets hit, uh, kind of a late hit. I didn't think it was super egregious or anything, but a little bit of a spear. Um, by one of the Colts defenders and he gets a flag drawn and you know, some of the offensive linemen are jawing and then you look and just a helmetless Marcus Peters is like on the scene. Um, I was like, <laughs> I had concerns in that moment. I'll admit I was like, the we rare just... <laughs> ejection when that entire unit is not on the field. That, that That's the, the rarely seen ejection for a player when the offense yeah. is on the field and he plays defense. Have I you... loved it though, man. Oh, it was I great. love him sticking up for his quarterback like that. I, and it, he didn't throw hands or anything, but that that was it, it made me laugh, but also it was a sense of like, go get him, Marcus. Nice. Like that that shows that both of these units care about each other. And that that you know, I think that's cool yeah. to see on. There, there were there were definitely Ravens teams in the past where if Kyle Bowler took a helmet to the back, I don't know that they necessarily would have been rushing to his defense or anything. But uh yeah, I, I I was super impressed with the defense top to bottom. Obviously, Peters, I think, is the standout on the day with the big plays. But um, I think we have to say, too, to have done all this uh, without really practicing, for the most part, at least many of the key guys this week, uh, as we mentioned, because of, you know, the contact tracing and uh, whatnot. Matt Judon, Deshaun Elliott, Patrick Queen, Tyus Bowser, and Malik Harrison, and also Terrell Bonds, were all at various points... Uh, unable to practice this week uh, for pretty much the whole week for most of those guys. Uh, I think Judon maybe got cleared like a day or two earlier, but uh, um, because of COVID. And so they're basically going into this game just with the game plan with like no practice time. They did like a walkthrough Saturday, I believe is what they were cleared for. Uh, And, you know, to pitch a shutout now, I don't think Phillip Rivers is the best QB in the world anymore. He only completed one pass over 20 yards per uh, Jeff Zerebeck, but you know, Credit to the Ravens for preventing any big plays uh, and, and whatnot. And he's much maligned on the show, but I believe we have to at least give Matthew Judon a little bit of credit uh, this week. Because um, I thought he was really good. It was at least his most standout game. Most notably, he absolutely destroyed Phillip Rivers on the very questionable fourth down call uh, the Colts ran in, the sh- uh, in field goal range when they were down 21-10 that for all intents and purposes, ended the game uh, right there with about, you know, six, seven minutes to go. Um, so I just want to say, we see you, Matthew Judon. We appreciate you this week. We, we are still not a Matthew Judon podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm not I'm not 
flipping there by any stretch of the imagination. Although he didn't really show up uh, in his in the stat sheet, I thought Ngakwe kind of brings another element to off the edge. Um, again, still no sacks uh, for this team, which is definitely a problem. But you know, I think they will get there and they they will come. And again, Jace, I mean, you said it all, so I don't really need to harp on too too much, but. I think we just need to give credit to, if you look at just the stat sheet, and these guys showed up too, some of your top tacklers um, are Deshaun Elliott, a guy who we didn't know was flying around the football yesterday. Justin Matabuke, the rookie defensive tackle. He had five tackles and a half a tackle for loss. He had to play a lot more because of Calais Campbell, and I believe, oh, no, Brandon Williams was still in there. I don't know why I thought he was out. But Campbell was hurt, so you had to bring in Matabuke, a guy that they're really high on. But the most snaps that he's gotten, I'm, I'm sure, in his young career. Then uh, you talk about Judon, obviously a good performance. And then, like I mentioned before, Malik Harrison, who came in for LJ Fort, who is one of our, and we mentioned it before, underrated great guys because he's always there. He's a sound tackler. He doesn't miss, uh, miss chances and things like that. You have a unit of guys behind your main unit that are stepping up, um, you know, outside of we've picked on Terrell Bonds even more than the Colts did yesterday, I think. So, it's it's really good to see uh, from this defense that I don't know we all we've all grown up I, and I know me personally I like watching defense more than offense I've grown up watching deep frankly because I've just been watching Ravens offense my entire <laughs> life and that's not fun but they are starting to show shades of what it means to be a Baltimore defense where it's not the whole you know. <laughs> The, the joke of, like, the Ravens always have a good defense and the national media just assumes they always have a good defense because, like, oh, yeah, they had Ray Lewis and Ed Reed at a time. Like, they're, they're still great, right? And it's not always the case when you watch them week in and week out. We are starting to see that again. And I, like I mentioned before, I think this is going to be the unit that carries this team. And that's a good thing. You have a very young quarterback. I know he just won the MVP. You have a young quarterback, and anything you can do to take the pressure off his shoulders when all of the national media and spotlight is on him most of the time from a defensive end with the turnovers you create and hopefully a little more pressure on the quarterback and just making key plays in the right moments, all of that alleviates pressure on the offense, which is frankly, again, even with this half, not what they were last year. So I am I am very, very impressed with the defense. And long may it continue, man, because like we said, the, the stretch here is is still pretty tough coming up. And just one final defense thought I want to say, because uh, as we mentioned in this game, they seem to be uh, the particular offenders in the penalties category. The Ravens committed no penalties in the second half of this game, uh, which for a team that has rang up triple digits a few times, I believe, this season now in terms of penalties, they definitely were over 100 against the Eagles in that game. Uh <laughs> It was nice to see that not happen uh, for them to, you know, 55 penalty yards and a half was a good deal. But then to have zero in the second half, really impressive. And, you know, obviously it helped them win the game. They didn't stall out on offense with holdings or illegal, not nary an illegal formation in the second half even. Uh, and it kept them, you know, uh, on schedule and even ahead of schedule in some cases on offense. And it didn't give up yards on defense. So, uh, you know, top marks all around for cleaning it up in the second half, for sure. I want to ask one f- f- final question, so to speak, about this game, and it, as it relates to Lamar Jackson. He had, in his career to date, he had not, as nor had the Ravens, uh, 
for those 20 games, but Lamar had not come back from a first-half deficit and won a game. There's a lot of talk about not being able to beat good teams, not being able to win quote-unquote big games. If he has a poor game next week or in two weeks or against the Steelers on Thanksgiving, this is obviously going to come back up as a topic. But for now, beating a good team with a strong defense on the road in a game where things were ugly in the first half, but he came back very strong in the second, did not turn the ball over, will this or should this at least you know, lower the volume on the criticism uh, that Lamar has taken of not being able to win big games or beat good teams? I think lower the volume is an interesting way to phrase it. Um, if you're going to say, does it shut that off? Does it hit the mute button on those? I think the answer is, will it? No. And for me, should it? No. Um, you know, we had a lengthy discussion last week, and I was certainly on the negative camp about <laughs> Lamar Jackson. And Antonio and I kind of went back and forth a little bit. Does this alleviate some of that? Absolutely, yes. Finally getting a win from coming from behind, something you've never done in your career, alleviates that. It does. But I still think the criticism is there, and it's valid, and the simple thing is, and it's stupid, and, you know, maybe it doesn't sound fair, but just for me, this is it. He hasn't done it. He, or he still blew it against Pittsburgh, the biggest division rival. He still has never beaten the Chiefs, the AFC rival. The road to the Super Bowl will go through Kansas City almost almost a guarantee there. And the Colts are, like, fine. You know, I they're a good defense. Don't get me wrong. I think their defense is good. But that team is so just – it's like – you know that the old joke about the Andy Dalton line? There used to be the Andy Dalton line for the median of quarterback. <laughs> like, if you're worse than Andy Dalton – you're a bad quarterback. If you're better than Andy Dalton, you're a good to great quarterback. I think the Colts are that for teams in the NFL. They are like smack dab in the middle. If, if the Colts are beating somebody, that's a bad football team. If they're losing to somebody, that's a good football team. So, like, I don't know. I, I think the, the, the biggest thing you can take away from this is, yes, it was a good defense, and more importantly, they were down. Even though it wasn't insurmountable, they were still down, and they came back, and they won. So that's good, but for me, absolutely not. It does not quell those those worries and criticisms that you have of the team and, and of the quarterback. Yeah, I think it's going to be a thing that comes up, frankly, until the Ravens win a playoff game with Lamar, probably, realistically. Maybe even a Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah definitely in some quarters there. <laughs> um, but I think just as a fan and, you know, even for the – you know, you can't speak for the guys in that locker room, but I think it was like an important game because like you said, we, uh, in the Lamar Jackson era, the Ravens had never come back from, you know, down at halftime. So that's a, it's a small hurdle to clear, but you know, you got to do it at some point. Uh, and I think especially just given how last week played out and just some of the offensive inconsistencies to this point this season, I, I think it was a, a big second half and, um, Certainly a win as a fan, I felt, uh, you know, really solid about, about as enthused, I guess you could say, as any, certainly any game the Ravens have won this year, other than maybe beating down the Browns in week one. That was fun. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a big step, but I, yeah, to Tim's point, I, I don't know, certainly nationally, it, because I think Lamar's just, you know, he's a talking point QB at this point, right? So the next major game they have. Uh, it'll just come right back up again if they lose, probably, because, 
you can kind of get some cheap heat off of the hot takes uh, that Lamar Jackson criticism can generate. So, sadly, I don't think it really quiets anything in the long run, but I do think it was an important game for him and the team. Yeah, outside of what I'm sure the Ravens would say is outside noise, I hope it at least helps inside the building, where, where they have some players in that building who think their team are they that they are chokers so and have said so publicly uh so hopefully a win like this will at least maybe give a little bit of more more confidence a little bit more faith in, in the team of being able to uh to to come back and to win tough games against teams with winning records which is its own challenge for this game uh no marlon humphrey no ronnie stanley no lj fort no tyree phillips no Calais campbell after like the second play of the game and it's a resilient, tough win on the road. Ravens now 6-2 and two and looking to extend that next week. Uh, we're going to turn now to the NFL. And we're going to talk about the only one AFC North team outside of the Ravens played this weekend with Cincy and Cleveland both on a bye. And that team can shove it, is what I say, to the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> because they tried to have the trap game loss to the Dallas Cowboys. They tried their absolute best and they still ended up with a late win against the, uh, I don't even remember his first name, Greg Gilbert, George Gilbert, Garrett Gilbert. Uh, the Steelers a- able to squeak out a five-point win in Dallas, uh, and I'm now just a 1,000% ready for that Thanksgiving night game where Pittsburgh is 10-0, and and the Ravens go in there uh, three, four, five-point underdogs and absolutely steal that game. But thoughts on Pittsburgh and what the heck is going on? How are they 8-0? Um, they're, they're just possibly the worst ever undefeated team this late into a season in NFL history. Uh, credit to Mike Tomlin. He'll officially not have another losing season. Uh, I think it's 14 seasons now for Tomlin, something like that. Uh, Rappaport reported that Ben Roethlisberger actually, here we go. Here's a fun tweet. Sustained injuries to both knees on Sunday, but after tests today, there is cautious optimism that he'll be healthy enough to play versus the Bengals. While both knees got trapped, his feet not being stuck in the turf saved him from major injuries. So Big Ben, the walking boot is back. Bring What's it all What's the back. knee version of the walking boot? Like the double brace? Like he's just walking yeah. around with knee braces for, for no reason? And he'll be fine. He'll come into their next game and throw for, you know, 300 yards and two touchdowns and everything will be okay. And what a warrior this guy is. Yeah, Pittsburgh football. <laughs> um, I almost like that they keep winning these games because it makes everybody think that they're a lot better than they really are. And like you said, Antonio, they really don't have anybody left on their schedule except us. Uh, I think they, I believe they also have at the Bills will be a tough game. We just showed, showed everybody that the Colts isn't that great. But outside of us and the Bills, it goes Bengals, Jaguars, Ravens, football team, Bills, Bengals, Colts, Browns. So there's a lot of wins there still. But for me, glass half full Ravens fan, optimistic Ravens fan, that just means that they're going to be way too confident going into the playoffs. And uh, and then we'll be able to show them up there too. Jace, before you go on Pittsburgh, like I want you to talk about the Dallas game and them overall. I'll ask you, and then if Tim wants to guess here as well, can Cincinnati beat them in their two games? Can Cincy steal a win out of those two games against Pittsburgh based on how they've looked, how they looked this weekend and how really how they've looked all season while being 8-0? I want to believe, you know, 
but historically, Ben Roethlisberger has had a lot of success against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, but I this game almost made me more annoyed that the Ravens lost last week because I don't think the Steelers are that good. <laughs> they're certainly not as good as their probably 14-2 and two record they're heading for is uh, going to be. And I think that's what's frustrating for me, obviously, as a Ravens fan uh, on this Here Ravens podcast is, great, it'd be awesome if we beat a 10-0 Steelers team on Thanksgiving. The problem is, if they're 10-0, that leaves... They, the Ravens really need help from one of these just bum teams, and I don't know that they're going to get it at this point. And now, broad strokes, I don't know that playing on the road is the worst thing in the world for the Ravens in the playoffs. Playing at home hasn't worked out so far uh, in the Lamar era, so maybe mix it up a little bit. But I'm just I'm constantly annoyed by the Steelers. I mean, I never felt like they were really going to lose the game, <laughs> even when they're, you know, they're down 19-9 to going in the third quarter. And some of the field goals, but Mike McCarthy, the, the, the field goal to make it 19-9 to was like fourth and in inches on like the 20, and he kicks the field goal. I'm like... Do you want to win games? What's your goal here, dude? <laughs> like that you're like that field goal was never going to be enough to beat the Steelers, and uh, they never scored again, right? Uh, or did they get one more field goal? No, that was it. So yeah, um, so that was an annoying one. <laughs> I don't know, you know, as uh, well, it's as uh, Herman Edwards once said, "You play to win the game," and when Mike McCarthy settled for that, I. I'd be annoyed, I think, if I was a fan of either of these teams, honestly, because if you're a Steelers fan, it's great to win games, but you have to know it's kind of a house of cards. Like, they're not beating the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. Like, that's not happening. Um, And then, adversely, if I was a Cowboys fan, I would just be out of my mind that Mike McCarthy was the head coach of this team. Like, I know they're not going anywhere without Dak Prescott, but, like, there's still some talent there, and they should have won this game and managed to to not be a cowardly plays, in my opinion. And uh, as per Roethlisberger, I saw it was uh, actually some Pitt- I think it was Andrew Philippi or something like that. It was actually a Pittsburgh radio guy, but he he, he had some joke during yesterday's game that uh, when Roethlisberger went out, he said. Ben's going to come back and lead the team to a win and then tell you how seriously injured he is. For real, he's really hurt or something like that. And, uh, yeah, that's, as Tim said, Ben Lathersberger is going to throw for over 300 yards next week, and then all you're going to hear is, Big Ben really guts it out, or whatever. Uh, whenever, you know, the Thursday night game when it's Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth on that Thanksgiving game against the Ravens, and we hear about how much of a warrior Ben Roethlisberger is. That's not going to drive me insane at all. So I guess this was yeah. a impromptu what's bothering Jace, but just the Pittsburgh Steelers, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's the same, it's the same thing every year with this bunch. And I cannot wait till Ben Roethlisberger retires. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. I mean, th- that, that Thanksgiving game is going to ruin my favorite holiday. I just know it. Like, I know. I'm going to put that any other time. Um, just to simply answer your question, because I know we got to move on to the other NFL stuff. No, the Bengals will not beat the Steelers either time. I am actually, I am more hopeful that the Browns might be able to pull it off than the Bengals either time, which is a scary sentence, uh, because again, that's another team that the Steelers just own as well. But uh, yeah, they're annoying. And 
we'll talk about it in three weeks when it's what's bothering Jace again, and three weeks later when it's what bo- what's bothering Jace again, and then in 2021 when it's what's bothering Jace again. The Pittsburgh Steelers will continue to bother us here at Pod Like a Raven. The Steelers will close the season with Bills at Bills at Bengals, home for the Colts at the Browns. In theory, there are two games in that four that they could lose. And if you pair that with the Ravens' loss on Thanksgiving, here here we go. All right. Elsewhere in the NFL, I it's a it's a game we have to talk about just for a minute because of the sort of historical ramifications of these two quarterbacks facing each other. And it's the New Orleans Tampa Bay game from yesterday last night, I should say. I I try to make sense of the NFL. I try to Look for patterns to help with predictions and, and gambling and yada, yada, yada. Uh, the the Green Bay Packers beat New Orleans in New Orleans a few weeks ago. Handle. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers end up destroying Green Bay a few weeks ago. And then New Orleans turns around and absolutely destroys Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay. And I don't understand the NFL and... Somebody explain to me what the heck happened yesterday with New Orleans blowing out uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, an incredible game uh, to watch uh, in a kind of car crash way. Uh, the worst loss in the 20-year career of one Tom Brady, which you love to see it. Uh, the Buccaneers set a record for fewest carries in an NFL game. They, they, they had five runs. Uh, four, I believe one was like a Brady scramble, right? Um, very confusing. Uh, there's not too much to say about it other than, I mean, Brady was absolutely awful in this game. He had one of the lowest passer ratings of his career through three interceptions, including one that was frankly in the second half, I believe when they're down like 35, nothing that was just like, well, let's see if this works. And he just kind of cross body through it on like a third down. Uh, didn't have a prayer. Uh, and then, you know, the Saints just marched down the field. I, uh, not to do a second what's bothering Chase, but Taysom Hill might be my least favorite player in the NFL. So I don't oh, love, God, me too. I don't love watching Saints games. He's a little too involved for me. And people love Taysom Hill, especially in this, this game when there's literally nothing to talk about other than how bad the Bucks are getting beat up. There was a lot of Taysom Hill talk last night in last night's game. <laughs> so I got to done with he's that. so versatile. I know. Uh, he's on specialty. He's in the special teams. I don't know, yeah, I don't know if you knew this, but he yeah. plays special teams too. And then he gets caught up on the field with what he needs to know for the one pass he'll throw incomplete in the quarterback. Uh, it's just inf- – I hope he's their starting QB next year and they go 3-13. and 13. But uh, aside from him – uh, <laughs> it was great to see. I mean, well, you know, we've had, I think, several conversations about uh, Tampa Bay and the Bucks on the show. Uh, and this is what I wanted the whole year to be. Uh, I want the whole, the rest of the Bucks season to be built out of this game. It couldn't have gone better for me. So it was wild. I, I, <laughs> I've never been, it's hard to be more surprised by an NFL game, but that was great. Yeah. I mean, that last line is, is it, um, I don't have a ton to say. I just will say Tom Brady threw three picks and looked horrific, and that pleased me very much. And the NFC, I mean, take your pick. I mean, we'll go through some of the other games quickly, but Seattle got stomped by the Buffalo Bills in a game that we all thought was going to be an easy Seattle win, like a lock at minus three. The Cardinals 
you know, they're five and three now, but they just lost to Tua and the Dolphins, who the Dolphins just might be another AFC team's good. And while the AFC is loaded with teams like this, I, I can't figure out the NFC. I have no idea how it's going to play out. It is bizarre. Uh, if you had to, I mean, I think all three of us would possibly pick three different teams if asked who is the best team right now in the NFC. New Orleans at 6-2. and two. I still don't know if they're good. I have no idea if they're good. I don't know if Drew Brees can throw the ball 15 yards downfield. And this is after a shellacking of what was a 6-2 and two team before Sunday night. You, I mean, Tim, you talk about the NFC West. You know, oh, three teams may out of four teams may go out of the NFC West to the postseason. And now they, I, we don't know anything about them with Seattle giving up 45.44 points uh, last week. The NFC is confusing, football is confusing, and I love it, but I also hate it when gambling gets involved. Uh, another game, at, speaking of the NFC West, was uh, the Arizona Cardinals against the Miami Dolphins, and I could not have been more sure that after Tua's not great at all first game, even though they won... Uh, and most of the touchdowns were scored defensively and with special teams for Miami, was positive that Arizona was then going to end up really just running that game in Arizona, and I was wrong with that also. Uh, and Tua, flashy, mixing, mixing it up, making some plays, uh, and now I don't know what to make of Miami because they may snag a wild card spot at this point with a 5-3 uh, and three record for Miami. Thoughts yeah, on uh, other games in the NFL, on that game and other games in the NFL. Yeah, quickly on that one, I would just say, first of all, credit to Miami for making the switch when they had to. Or they didn't even have to. Fitzpatrick was had them as a winning team. And Tua looked good, um, overcame, obviously, all the questions that we had. This quarterback class, by the way, just looks amazing. I still love watching Justin Herbert play, even though it's just becoming Phil Rivers 2.0 and the way they keep losing games. Um, but... I've said it before, I'll say it again, even though Cliff Kingsbury does some weird stuff with uh, the play clock and how he runs games, still watch that team all the time because Kyler Murray is amazing and he's really fun to watch and he's only getting better and better and better. And uh, Brian Flores might be a coach of the year for them because that that Dolphins team was not supposed to be any good. Remember two years ago, it was tank for Tua. They didn't tank. They end up with the fifth pick and they still got Tua. And then now they're 5-3 and three and fighting in a very competitive AFC. Um, outside of that, only other games I want to quickly mention is uh, the Panthers almost did it. The Panthers almost beat the Chiefs. I don't know what, the, what is up with the Chiefs. I think they had a total of like 30 yards rushing in this game or something <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, yeah, 30 yards rushing on 12 carries. So Pat Mahomes goes, okay, I'll go 30 of 45 for 367 and four tutties. Um, and the Panthers still came a incredibly long field goal kick away from almost beating them. So maybe there's something in the blueprint there uh, of how to beat them. Take a look, Johnny. We're going to need that later. And then I just want to mention him real quickly. Dalvin cook is awesome. Uh, The Vikings, obviously three and five, not really going anywhere. Um, It looks like the Packers kind of have a stranglehold on that division now, but another monster game after his four touchdown performance last week, 22 carries, 206 yards rushing and two touchdowns so i mean if you love watching the running game watch the baltimore ravens and then flip over to the other team in purple and watch dalvin cook play because he is awesome 
the uh, the only I just wanted to circle back very briefly to the Cardinals Dolphins game, which was an awesome game. I thought one of the best games of the day. Uh, you know, high score in thirty four thirty one. Both quarterbacks hyper efficient. Kyler Murray rushed for over a hundred yards. Uh, but the end of this game brought me another renewed appreciation of one Justin Tucker because uh, Arizona Cardinals kicker Zane Gonzalez came up short on a forty nine yard field goal attempt, and earlier in the day. Uh, in our Ravens game, we watched Justin Tucker nail a 48-yard field goal that would have been good from 60. And I just, I was like, ah, what a, what a, what a feeling to have a kicker where a 49-yarder to tie would have been no doubt with one Jay Tuck. And poor Zane Gonzalez couldn't even get it uh, to the crossbar, hit the front of the crossbar and down. So that was upsetting to see. But as a Ravens fan, it was a moment of Jay Tuck appreciation for me. But then, Tim, you mentioned it. We have to at least mention how the Chargers lost yet again in crushing fashion. Uh, you know, the team that brought you uh, blowing 16-point leads in four straight games. Uh, now, this week, just two straight goal line fades with under five seconds to go. Uh, Mike Williams uh, seemed like he was going to catch it until he, uh, you know, took to turf and couldn't maintain the control of the catch and seemed to knock himself out in the process or at least sustain a concussion. So that was bad. And then exact same thing, another goal line fade that I thought was good and seemed good overturned on review. The Chargers lose, uh, yet again, I believe every one of their six losses this season has been by one score. <laughs> so, um, uh, it's incredible. I don't really have anything to add other than that, other than I think Herbert's really good and the Chargers are a cursed franchise and it wasn't, it didn't leave them when they left San Diego. It didn't, uh, you know, didn't leave them when Phillip Rivers left. It's just, this is what the Chargers are. I believe Roger Sherman said since 1970, they are the second most one-score losses since they joined the NFL, uh, behind only the Lions, who have lost something like 100 more games in that time frame. The Chargers only lose close games, and uh, it's really impressive, honestly. Uh, so it was a particularly bad uh, Sunday for that, but man, I don't know. Having to compete with Justin Herbert in the future, maybe, is a thing, but unless the Car Chargers are still cursed, then he'll just be lingering about that seven and nine area for the next several years <laughs> yeah i mean I, I was about to say poor san diego but they maybe didn't never cared about the chargers really and they <laughs> aren't involved in them at all so it's just the charger it's poor chargers because that's what they do that's how they are and they just can't seem to shake this ghost of weird bad losses in every possible way but all right, we're going to move now away from the NFL, and we're going to preview the Ravens versus Patriots game. But before that, it's my turn this week for the Random Raven. And uh, for the listener, really, this may be the Random Raven where my co-hosts uh, eliminate me from Pod Like a Raven. So I'm going to try. They may like this pick. They may hate this pick and not want to do Random Raven with me ever again. So if you don't hear me next week... <laughs> It's because they really disliked uh, how I went about my selection this week. But maybe they'll find it fun and quirky. So with that caveat, a, where if I, I die, it's them, head. guys. It's them. <laughs> I have a thought in my head, and I'm just, I'm just making that note now. I will let you know after, at the end of the show. But I think I know already, based on what you're saying, who this person is. This random Raven played for the team for two seasons from 2004 
to 2005. <laughs> he was not a starter. And even though he was second on the, on the depth chart in 2004 and third on the depth chart in 2005, he in fact was only involved in six total plays for the Ravens in those two seasons. <laughs> and that's six plays by my uh, unofficial, this is not like the uh, Bureau of Statistics, this is my unofficial tally. Six plays, five carries, and one target, zero receptions. He wore number 10 and was somehow less involved at his position in those two years than former Ravens wide receiver Randy Himes. He is most well-known for his eight seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers from 1995 to 2002, (laughs) where he went to the postseason four times, twice as a starter, and even was a pro bowler in 2001. I have one more clue that I'm going to save for the end of the show that I think would give it to a lot of people, but that's just sort of the obvious clue, but... Good That's Lord. what I'm going to say for now. <laughs> and oh there's a lot God. of eye rolling and uh, I don't know that I hate rubbing. you, but that's a hell of a choice. <laughs> I just, I went to the 2004, I guess actually 2005 Ravens roster, and his name just, it just popped up, and I completely forgot that this guy was ever a Baltimore Raven. And by that definition alone, he is a random Raven, and I had to I had to bring him up this week uh, since we played the Steelers uh, only a week ago. So that is the Random Raven. I will reread those clues at the end of the episode and add on uh, one more clue that should absolutely help. So let's turn now to the Ravens versus New England Patriots. It's a weird line to read. The 6-2 and two Ravens facing off against the 2-5 and five New England Patriots, they play, they're, they're playing in a few hours. We're recording this Monday evening. They will play tonight uh, against the New York Jets. I would want to say we could just sort of pencil that in as a win for the Patriots and say they're 3-5, and five. but they've been bad this year, so we can't assume they're going to win any game. The Ravens currently favored by seven points in this game. Guys, thoughts on this matchup really just as, as a whole, and then as we turn to some more specific stuff, uh, thoughts on what needs to happen when the Ravens have the ball in order to have success? Uh, just real quickly overall, call it just years of stress and anguish and depression. I'm still nervous about this game. Uh, the fact that they put it on Sunday night as well, I'm not a huge fan of. And overall, Bill Belichick is still a great coach. He's, now he's a horrific GM, and he doesn't know how to draft anymore. But in terms of coaching, he is still very good and with a defense that should be very good at taking away your best thing and a defense that, you know, and this kind of transitions into when the Ravens have the ball. Belichick's going to have something for them. Uh, He's not going to forget being stomped by them in primetime last season uh, when this so-called best defense of all time when they were playing high school teams through the first half of the year uh, came into Baltimore and walked out with their tail between their legs because they just were completely embarrassed. Uh, I think he's going to remember that. I think some of the key players on that team are going to remember that. And I think this defense for the Patriots is going to make it difficult. That being said, they're 2-5 and five for a reason. 
and we just saw what works against a better defense statistically in the Indianapolis Colts. So it sounds like a broken record, and you guys are going to say the same thing, so I'll keep it brief so you guys can, can add on here, but it's, it's control the clock, run the ball effectively, and don't turn the freaking ball over. That's all it is, and you're going to beat this team, and we're going, to be, we're going to be breathing a sigh of relief on Sunday night rather than watching it from behind the couch. It, it's definitely strange to just to not have Tom Brady in this matchup, but uh, to Tim's point, Cam Newton's been bad, man. I know he, you know, lately, it, it's just astounding to look at their offensive statistics. Patriots quarterbacks this year have thrown three touchdowns and eleven interceptions. That's crazy. You don't like see stats like that in today's NFL. Three touchdowns, 11 picks. They can't do anything through the air. Um, And uh, to Tim's point, when it comes to, because of that, because they can't throw, and, you know, we theoretically have Marlon Humphrey back. We have Marcus Peters back there. I don't see a lot of success going through the air. Now, these aren't the most uh, dynamic passing offenses in the world, uh, honestly. Um to be quite frank, we are 31st in pass yards per game, and the Patriots are 30th. So it will be a run-oriented game. The Patriots are not especially good at stopping the run. They're 28th in yards against per game. Um, if this is the game to reawaken what they found against the Pittsburgh Steelers, that would be ideal. <laughs> but I'm with Tim. I think if the Ravens take care of the ball, they're the better team. They're the more talented team, uh, and they should get a win. I just, I really think the Patriots are going to struggle uh, on offense in this game because uh, they have all year against every team. And I don't know, you know, Ravens are the number one uh, defense in terms of points against their top 10 in yards. Um, and the Patriots are struggling with a lot worse teams than the Ravens have or are. So I think if Lamar is careful with the ball, like you, like he said, uh, you know, Belichick will cook something up. But if they can avoid, you know, walking into his defensive traps or what have you, I think it's going to be not too much of a challenge for the Ravens famous last words, perhaps, but I'm not super concerned about this game. Julian Edelman over under 1.5 passing <laughs> attempts in this game, not 0.5, but over under 1.5. Yeah. Just the, the, the Patriots run defense being bad. I I think alone should, should make this game a manageable win for the Ravens. They give up 140 rushing yards a game. Even if the Ravens just hit that as an average, if they hit 140, you have to believe that they've been in control of this game, that they've had, you know, the time of possession is on their side. They've run a lot of plays. They probably haven't turned the ball over. And I just, if they score 14, if the Ravens score 14 points in this game, I don't know where the Patriots points are going to come from. Uh, I just envision Wink sort of getting all excited about opportunities to load up the box, blitz different guys and force Cam Newton to essentially have to make big passing plays in the air, which he has not done since, like, week three, if he's done it at all this entire season. I I spoke about the Patriots, it was either last week or the week before, about how the names on this team are bizarre, they have no weapons, they're super, I don't even want to call them that, but one of their best wide receivers, and Julian Edelman has had a knee injury, he's been in in and out of the lineup, um and is an old veteran at this point, along with some of the other guys that that this team has had. Their defense has not really recovered from having a bunch of starters out from the opt-out at the beginning of the season for COVID. They've had other injuries. They've had other COVID issues. Stephon Gilmore, first he missed a game because he tested positive. 
He's out tonight with a knee injury. Um, Lawrence Guy has been banged up. He's missing the game tonight, and it's not sure if, if both of those guys will be back for the Ravens game. So I just I don't see which bodies are, are going to give the Ravens any issues, really, on either side of the ball here. And uh, I'm, I'm predicting a, a comfortable double-digit win. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you talk about Belichick's coaching and Josh McDaniel's coaching, but the guys on the field have to get the job done, and they frankly just haven't. And I mean, you look at the names. I'm looking at the depth chart now. You mentioned some of the guys that we know. Um, then you look at – I'm just looking, naming starters on this defense. Dietrich Wise Jr., never heard of him. Bo Allen, never heard of him. Adam Butler, never heard of him. Jawan Bentley, never heard of him. Maybe I'm just a bad football guy. Maybe I don't watch a lot of Patriots now, which, trust me, anytime they're on, I try and avoid them as much as possible. Uh, but it's just – there's nobody there. Um, just quickly, I mean, in terms of the offensive side of the ball for the for the Patriots against this Ravens defense, this is where you crank it up, man. I mean, their offensive line is good, but it's not nearly what it used to be. Let's see Ngakwe. Let's see Judon get a couple more of those sacks or some other team can pay him millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> Let's force not just one, but maybe two and even three turnovers from a Cam Newton who, again, Timer recording, he could look lights out against the Jets, but it's the Jets, so who cares? Let's get after him because he hasn't been good since the start of the year. And all that being said, I'm going to make my pick now. And again, <laughs> just call it call it me being scarred. Call it scars. Unbelievable. Call it depression. Call it sitting on a dock after a playoff game where one kicker who will not be named missed a chip shot field goal and having multiple family members ask me, you're not going to drown yourself, are you? And I said no multiple times to these people. I am taking New England plus seven. I don't think they win this game, but I think the, I think the Ravens win on Sunday night, but it's way more stressful than it needs to be, and that's why I've already taken off the following day because I'm not going to feel like working on Monday afterwards. I, I, uh, it's weird that I am riding a wave of positivity with the Ravens, but I am once again picking them to cover this seven-point spread. I just think the Patriots are really bad <laughs> this year. I, I, I know they're the Patriots. I know Bill Belichick's still there, but they just aren't good. That haven't looked good for like we've said like weeks, basically since for Cam since the Seattle game. And as it turns out, Seattle's defense is horrendous. <laughs> so I don't even know how much stock you can put in that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm picking the Ravens. I think I think they're going to win this week. Um, you know, I think it's a different Patriots team, but I think it's still a team you want to beat, obviously, if you're uh, the Ravens after years of losing to the Patriots um, in big games. So last year was great, and I think, you know, I think the Patriots are worse than the team that got, uh, you know, hammered in that fourth quarter and put away pretty soundly by the Ravens last year. So I think they're worse in every way. And I think the Ravens have taken a step back too, obviously, but not enough to, I, I don't think, not cover the seven points. So yeah, I'm picking the Ravens as well uh, for from, once again. From the Patriots side, if you were a fan of the Patriots, if you follow the Patriots, whatever, are you not very concerned? I mean, the team is two and five, so whatever. You're probably not looking to the postseason anyway. But this Jets game, the line opened at Pat's minus seven. The Jets are historically horrendous and were pre- uh, the week prior uh, historically, you know, twenty-one point underdogs to the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Chiefs covered. 
this line, the fact that it's as cl- I mean, it has moved since to uh, minus nine and a half. But the fact that it's not a double digit line to one of the worst football teams the NFL has ever seen tells me a little bit more about how this team, the, as the Patriots, really cannot be trusted against any sort of mediocre to good to great team. I'm taking the Ravens as well. Um, I don't love the Sunday night aspect, Tim, but the Ravens have been better, I think, than we f- than we feel they've been in primetime games. They just feels like they've had crushing losses, but they actually do okay, I think, statistically with with primetime games. I think if they score first against the Patriots, it's a blowout. I think even if they don't score first, they win this by by 14 points. I'm taking the Ravens minus seven, and then I'll get into my other uh, my other picks for the week. One and two last week. Uh, I'm sorry for the listeners. Got the Ravens pick, and then I had some some strange losses with my other uh, other two picks. Fifteen and six on the season, but we're going two and zero uh, this week. I got two picks: the Ravens minus seven, and then a three-team tease. And I'm doing what I'm sure uh, doesn't make any sense mathematically, statistically, with gambling. Whatever. I'm putting the Patriots in there twice because I am picking the Patriots tonight. In the T's. So, Patriots at minus three and a half against the Jets. Green Bay, they're hosting the Jaguars. I'm moving that line from 14 to 8. And then I'm taking Baltimore. Again, I'm doubling down. And I'm moving the minus seven against New England to minus one. So, that's the Patriots tonight to beat the Jets. Minus three and a half. Green Bay at minus eight. And Baltimore, again, at minus one. And we're going 2-0. and And... We will never die. And those oh my are my God. picks. I'm going to turn to you guys with any final thoughts for this Ravens game and then go right into your other picks for the weekend. Well, I just I, can't wait until this goes live and the Jets have won this. And this I accept that. that. Are, I accept it. Look, I, I realize the, the listener the can't really make this bet. Uh, so I'm just doing it as a, uh, as a person to lock it in. But um, if you, if you want to f- f- you know, follow what I've been doing and you can't bet this, Two team tees, Green Bay, Baltimore, and then just run with it. There you go. I just I love the fact that people are going to listen to this and be like, why did he pick them? Cam Newton looked horrific last night. Uh, if they listen on the day of release, which is every Tuesday here uh, on your favorite podcast service. So real quickly, um, I went 0-3 last week. I thought Seattle was a mortal lock. They looked horrendous. And then Chicago, I was taking Chicago in the points, but Tennessee covered the 5.5. And, uh, and Chicago's just bad. I mean, they are a... They are the Ravens of old on steroids with a great defense and just absolutely nothing on the offensive end. But anyway, this week, obviously I had uh, New England plus seven. Give me Seattle again. Seattle is away, but they are underdogs to the L.A. Rams who are coming off a bye. I think the Rams are fine. I think the Rams will be able to put up points, but so will Seattle. And it's basically whose defense is going to come out on top and – I just I think Seattle's will in a shootout, and I think their offense with Metcalf and guys uh, like Lockett are it's just a little better than what the Rams have. So Seattle plus one and a half away to L.A. And then I'm taking Miami. I mean, we talked about the Chargers; they have lost six games, and it's a combined total of 24 points this year. They're all one-score <laughs> games. They're all incredibly close. I think this is another one, but I think Miami squeaks it out by a late field goal, two a time. He goes three and zero. Uh, Miami minus two and a half away to the L.A. Chargers is the bet that I'm making for that game. So I have New England, Seattle, and Miami. 
Unlike my co-host Tim, I believe in the Baltimore Ravens. So as I said, I am picking uh, them uh, at the uh, the minus seven against the Patriots. I did want to just make one mention because I saw this while we were recording uh, that Des Bryant, who actually did play in uh, Sunday's uh, game for the Ravens, was reverted back to the practice squad, but he can be re-elevated sometime this week. So who knows? Maybe we'll see Des Bryant catch a pass on Sunday. But I just figured I sh- we should mention it, uh, that he did, in fact, actually play, throw up the X. Uh, seemed like he was rapping along to the lyrics. Seemed like a good time. Uh, but I'm uh, I'm sticking with Tim for with the Seahawks for the exact same reason uh, as he. I just, Russell Wilson as an underdog, I think that's great value. Uh, you know, he, he's been a little more inconsistent in recent weeks, but I still like him. It, it's hard to bet against him as an underdog. Uh, so I'm going with Russell Wilson. And then I'm mixing it up a little bit this week. I am taking the under, which is set at 44 points in the Eagles-Giants game. Uh, A battle for uh, close to first place in the NFC East. I mean, you know, the very loser Eagles could really take a stranglehold on the division if they win this one. Uh, But these games, these NFC East games are just such slogs. And the first one, you know, the Eagles needed a miracle rally to pull it off, so... I don't expect a lot of points. I expect bad football, and I expect under 44 uh, points combined between the teams. So I'm going with the under in the NFC East, and maybe a strategy I should have been employing all season. We'll see how it pays off. But, uh, yeah, those are my three picks for the week. Ravens, and then I'm with Tim on the Seahawks, and uh, the under in the Eagles-Giants game. I love mixing it up with an under. Look, I'm I'm, I'm making an official uh, decision here. I'm rescinding my three team tees because this show is all about the listener. And I realize I'm thinking about this as if the episode is going to go live as soon as we stop recording, but it's not. This episode goes live on Tuesday mornings. The Monday night game will have already happened. And I can't do this to the, to the listener. I can't give them a bet that they then cannot take because the game's already happened. So I'm just swapping a game in. I'm taking out the Jets Pats game. My three team tees is now officially green Bay minus eight Baltimore minus one and the Tennessee Titans. I'm moving that line from minus one and a half. They're hosting the Colts. I'm moving it to Tennessee plus four and a half. I've seen enough. I've seen what I need to see from the Colts, and I think Tennessee is going to win at home. And if you're getting some free points there, but the plus four and a half, I'm jumping all over it. So that's my three-team tease. And I'm sorry, listener. I won't won't make this mistake again because I I care about you when I throw out these gambling picks. 15 and 6, and we're trying to roll roll on next week. All right. uh, I'm going to run through this random Raven one more time. Uh, and then I'm, I'm going to add this, uh, this additional clue for the listener that I think will help that I did not say the first time around. And then we will get on out of here. So this random Raven played for the team for two seasons from 2004 to 2005. He was never, not once was he a starter. And even though he was second on the depth chart in 2004 and third on the depth chart in 2005, He, in fact, was only involved in six total plays for the Ravens in those two seasons, five carries, and he had one target that did not result in a completed pass. He wore number 10 and was actually less involved at his position over those two seasons than wide receiver Randy Himes, which could be a random Raven in his own right, This player is most well-known for his eight seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers from 1995 to 2002, where he went to the postseason four times, twice as a starter, and even was a pro bowler in 2001. And finally, he went to college at Colorado, 
and has a signature game-ending highlight from his time there called The Miracle at Michigan. So I'll give the listener, I guess, another five seconds to think with that last clue there, but uh, I'm not sure. Jay seems to have it. I'm not sure if Tim Tim has a, has a thought yep, here. I got it. I'll, I'll concede to Jace, but yeah, I... I the the number helped and then figuring out the old team that was like oh right okay that that pretty much sealed the deal yeah the Jace. number the number of the okay. Steelers locked it all in for me this is uh slash aka Cordell Stewart <laughs> Cordell Stewart was on the Ravens for two seasons uh that's a thing that happened he had a couple of carries oh. in a few games while backing up Kyle Bowler one of his rushing attempts is a kneel down uh, in one season. That was the only thing he did all season was one kneel down for negative one yards. And I mentioned Randy Himes because for some reason, I guess Randy could sling it. Uh, in, in both seasons, Randy Himes had at least one passing attempt, and yet Cordell Stewart did not in, in either season with the Ravens. His last two in the NFL, he had those... Eight years with Pittsburgh, one in uh, Chicago, and then his final two seasons as a backup for the Ravens. Well, so that's what really threw me for a loop was I have no recollection of, like, Cordell seems like the definition of a one-year Raven. Like, the fact that he was the backup for two seasons. The saddest thing for me is uh, the, the selection of this random Raven brings to mind a conversation I had or thought I had, I don't know if it was with my dad. I must've been, cause that's <laughs> mostly who I was talking Ravens with in these days. But, uh, uh, I really felt they should play Cordell Stewart. <laughs> I, was oh. like, I was like, he can't be worse than Kyle Bowler. I don't know what year that was, if it was 2004 or 05, but you know, those were some dark days for Ravens offensive football. And I was like, I really wanted them to play Cordell, but a real indictment in hindsight that he couldn't, uh, didn't really even sniff beating out Kyle Bowler, even for like a one-off <laughs> kind of game. So, uh, dark in days for the Ravens. In 2005, Kyle Bowler started nine games. Anthony Wright started seven games. Uh, and then Randy Himes and Mark Clayton both had passing attempts. But none for Cordell Stewart. There was no room for, for Cordell that year when the team went 6-10. and ten. Uh, all right, guys, any uh, final thoughts here on the NFL, on the Ravens? Feeling good about 6-2 and two, uh, as we continue on in this, what was at the start of the season, the gauntlet of, of tough games for the Ravens, this five-game stretch, the third one being maybe now an easier game in, in theory uh, with the Patriots game Sunday night. We will be there next week to talk all about it for Tim Horsey. And Jay Sevens, I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us. This is Pod Like a Raven. We will see you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.